Thanks, Dave. It's wonderful to be here with you this morning. We've just thoroughly enjoyed uh, being involved in your Sunday school class. What a blessing that was to study Leviticus and um, just wonderful, wonderful. It makes me wish I was here for the last since New Year's, but um, the uh, just just really need to do that and just see the Word of God being taught and the Word of God being applied and um, what a blessing that is and it's it's great to see familiar faces and know that you've just been faithful since we were here last time and some new faces as well and so just um, just praise the Lord for what he's doing just nice fellowship with Dave as well for a bit of time after Sunday school. COVID brought us back and we are now down not too far from here down in Middlesex, south of Canandaigua, there is where we are. And um, my mom, we we are staying there with my mom. And uh, and it's special today because my mom's here and then Charity's parents are here as well. And her brother is here. And so just kind of a neat time when we come to this church, sometimes that happens. And so it's a special blessing for us, but Ernie and Barb Wurzinger and their Isaac and then Betty Borsick. If you have questions, we'll be here after and we'll be glad to answer any um, any questions that that you have. But let's go ahead and um, this is going to be a little bit different message today. So as I said, I'm, I'm kind of sent out from Grace Community Church and they have their own, they have a thing called TMAI where they have training centers around the world, and they did a missions book, and um, or are doing a missions book, and so they asked me um, to write a chap- chapter on sh- shepherding your children on the mission field, or shepherding your family on the mission field, and um, and so I'm taking classes in biblical counseling um, during this time, and then I'm also last last fall I started writing this chapter. So what I'm going to share today is just kind of a overview of some of the things that I learned from that chapter. And, and hopefully that will be encouraging to you. It will also be um, exhorting to you. And, and as I say in, in the notes, they're sobering. So first of all, did everybody get a set of notes? And maybe a, a, one of the, yeah, that'd be great. Just um, slip up your hand if you didn't get one of these. It's just going to be really helpful if you have this because I'm going to have to go somewhat fast. And so um, somebody's going to get some of those. Thank you, guys. Um, and I think it'll be helpful if you have that in front of you to um, take notes from that. But we just want to want to look at what Scripture says about those roles within the family the roles of a husband, the roles of wife, and the roles of, of children. So yeah, you can put up your hands. Anybody else there? They've got them in the back. So looks like you guys are, are good. So um, let's just pray, and then we can, we can begin. Father, we are just so thankful for your goodness. Thank you for your word, Lord, and that um, your Lord, your word is powerful, Lord. It is living. It is the only writing that we have, Lord, that is living. And so we, we're thankful that this morning we can go to your word and we can look at this important subject of 
of how the gospel impacts our families, how our relationship with you impacts relationships with spouses and relationships with children. And so just pray that you would use your word this morning to do a work in our hearts that we may leave here more conformed to the image of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. So just in that opening of that chapter, and then that's the last time I'll mention um, the chapter, but I, this is this is what I said. Um, I know it's kind of egotistical to write something and then read it to you, all right, but that's what I'm actually going to do. Um, so let the people praise thee, O God, let all the peoples praise thee. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, Psalm 67, 3 and 4. Bringing praise to our Creator and Redeemer is the purpose of all of life and therefore the purpose of missions. John Piper said it well, missions exist because worship doesn't. This calls us to a higher purpose in our going, preaching, and making disciples of every nation. It clarifies our presentation of the gospel from being man-centered to being God-centered. If you think about that, if we're... If we're going, there is the idea that we go to the lost because they are lost and because they need Christ. And you can see what life without Christ has done to them. But but there's even a higher standard. They don't know their creator and they have never worshipped the one who created them. And so that's what Piper is saying in that in that quote, missions exist because worship doesn't. It clarifies our presentation of the gospel from being man-centered to being God-centered. But it does more than that. It clarifies our mission within the confines of our home. There must not be an incongruity in the disciples raised up through our ministry, whether outside or inside our home. The spiritual lives of people outside the home do not trump those in our families. Furthermore, fulfilling the Great Commission in our homes is a qualification that allows us to do more ministry. And so what we do in our homes, and often we can get so busy, we can get so busy with good things that, that we aren't ministering to the people that are just right in front of us each day. And, and so just want to encourage you this morning with that. God has given our homes, he's, he, us, our homes, he's given families, he's given the, the roles within that family for a purpose. God is a God of order. 1 Corinthians 14 there, as Paul's talking about um, worship and ministry within the church, Paul says that God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. This order is seen in creation and even the movement of the planetary bodies within the universe as as God created motion within the universe, which then creates time, creates time that, that we live in each day. God is the God of order, and he has given rules in the church and in the family to promote order within a sin-cursed world full of disorder. This order and these roles that we see, we, we really um, see they're really, in a sense, they're dim reflections of what we see in the Trinity, in the Godhead. 
Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And so one of the first things I like to emphasize when we think about these roles in, in the family, roles in marriage, is the importance of seeing that same aspect in the Godhead, that same aspect in the Trinity. We don't we don't look down upon Jesus Christ because he's not the Father, because he, in a sense, submitted himself to the Father. We don't, we don't look down on him, and we shouldn't look down on people with different roles within the church or within the family. It's the same as within the Trinity. We esteem Christ in the exact same way we esteem the Father. We esteem the Holy Spirit and we're thankful for them. But they have different roles. They, they don't all have the same roles. And even in our interaction with them, we pray to God the Father in Jesus' name. That's, that's a typical prayer that we offer. Nowhere in Scripture, I'm not saying you can't pray to the Holy Spirit, but nowhere in Scripture do we ever see a command or even an example of somebody praying to the Holy Spirit. Are we thankful for the Holy Spirit? Do we thank him? Yes, we do. Without him, we would be hopeless. But we have different roles within that Godhead, and that's reflected in the family as well. The issue is, though, that our sinful nature chafes at these roles. They chafe at the idea that that God has defined these roles roles in the same way that society now is chafing at the idea that God is the one who who defines male and female. Aspects of our culture around the world have influenced this as well. The culture that we're in, we we see roles in a different way. I remember being in a taxi cab in, in Beijing and the taxi um, driver he said, Zainida Jali She Shwala Swan. All right, and what he was saying there, in your house, who has the last word? Now, I could have talked about the American culture and how it's different from the Chinese culture in that, although honestly, it's not that different. But they don't need to hear about how Americans view this. This driver did not need to hear about how we do things in America God defines those roles within the family to bring order and stability to the family and ultimately glory to him. There's a great need for those to whom you are ministering to see a family functioning according to the biblical roles God has defined in Scripture. And then I say, um, you can look there at your... um, she, and if you are taking notes, this would be your first blank that you would need to fill out. But your family relationships will either drown out or amplify the gospel message to unbelievers and the teaching of the word to believers. How you interact as a couple, how you interact as a family, how, how people see your kids interact to you. Right, that either either drowns out or it amplifies the gospel message. Why? Because people want to see how Jesus Christ has changed you, and there's there's no more difficult 
issued. I mean, I've, I hear this. Charity and I have a perfect relationship. But people have told me, all right, that there's no more, di- you know, you don't see any more difficulties than in the family, you know, in marriages. And so as, as we're proclaiming the gospel, there's no better, better example of how Christ has changed us than to see a marriage that is honoring Christ. A marriage that is not conflict-free, but is working through those conflicts. The gospel has impacted us, so we, we forgive. We forgive as Christ has forgiven us. Just that. You know, the, the idea that, what, that we, we will not spend eternity in hell because Christ has forgiven us. If we sin some every five minutes... If we sin every five minutes, which we think about our thought life, and so that's like some five million sins in a lifetime, all forgiven. But we're not going to forgive that one sin that happened today. We're going to hold on to that for just a little bit, right? When we really understand the gospel, that will change how we live. That will change the relationships in our family. So the first thing there is for the husband's. Biblical understanding of the role of the husband. He is to lead in loving and serving. Lead in loving and serving. And, and there's a handful of passages, and you guys, a lot of you just got done with a, with a um, class on marriage. So obviously the Lord wanted you to get some additional, addition. <laughs> obviously you haven't applied that as much as you, as you should have. That's why I'm speaking on this today. But... Um, you know those passages, just several passages that are key, and and they're key as we're helping people. We don't want to just come up to somebody and they have a marriage question and just give them our insight. We want to direct them to the Word of God. And so Ephesians 5 is, is one of those key passages, and we're going to be looking at these very briefly today, very much of an overview, but... Um, those are key passages, and there in, in verse 22 where the section starts there, 22 through 33, but wives, be subject to your own husbands as the Lord, for what? For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. And so the husband is to lead the wife. He is to lead the family. How a man manages his family will qualify or disqualify him for greater ministry positions within the church. We see that in the qualifications for, for elders in 1 Timothy 3. The husband has been given the mandate and therefore the authority from God to lead and manage the family. And, and then we come to our first sobering reality today, and, and that is a husband's love for his wife needs to emulate Christ in how he loves the church. Our, our love for our wives need to emulate how Christ has loved the church. And one of the things I just realized in, in, in um, studying through this topic is, is there are a lot of key statements made. There are, there are statements made about the husband and wife relationship that really is not made about any other relationship in, in the sense of, of made with, with those sobering realities what is the expectations and how does this impact not only our relation but our not only 
our, our marriage relationship impacts that relationship that we have with God. But the first there, a husband's love for his wife needs to emulate Christ in how Christ loved the church. Um, the husband needs to be a sanctifying influence in the home. And we see that as we, as we look down through there, he needs to be just as Christ has been washing the church with the word. We need to be doing that in our homes. We need to be leading our homes by, by sharing the word, by shepherding our wives, shepherding our children there. The mindset that Christ had in his incarnation and death is, the, is to be the husband's mindset as he leads his family. What was that mindset? We see that in Philippians chapter 2. Again, um, that's in your notes, and I would encourage you as this week to just go home and grab these notes and kind of look up some of these references that we won't be able to go to. But we just see in Philippians 2 that humility, right? That, that humility that, that Christ had. He humbled himself, had this attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus is given to all, you know, is a command for all of us. But, but Christ humbled himself. Um, a husband is to instruct, is instructed to love his wife as his own body. For This is in verse 28, you see there. He's to love his wife as his own body. You know, the scripture never gives us com- a command to, to love ourselves. Sometimes you hear that. You know, I just need to love myself more. I can assure you, everyone here, you're doing a great job at that, all right? There, there's no problems with that. Scripture never says you need to love yourself. Going all the way back to Leviticus, we see what? Love others as you love yourself, okay? It's just assumed. It's assumed that we all love ourselves. And, 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 and um, Paul picks up on that idea that's in Ephesians and then um, really throughout Scripture and says, husbands, you need to love yourselves as Christ loved, or you need to, you need to love your wives as you love yourselves. And, and, and it's just prefer your wife, you know, prefer, prefer her in, in meeting her needs, to love, our, to love our wives just as much as we have have loved ourselves. And then secondly there, and so we got Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, and then we turn over to that passage um, in 1 Peter 3. Another passage talking about, a key passage talking about that marriage relationship. And, and this passage here, the first six verses are addressed to wives. Uh, husbands only get one verse, and so we're thinking, oh, this is pretty good. We should be okay here. And, um, but that one verse, really sobering. Okay, it says, if, if a husband does not, let's, just, let's read the verse, and then we can read that. For you husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. 
And so the second sobering reality for the husband is what if a husband does not seek to understand and honor his wife, his prayers are hindered. So, so our relationships with our wife directly impact our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Uh, a, a, a relationship that is struggling, a hus- husband-wife relationship, if you're not sitting there trying to understand your wife, trying to, under, try, trying to honor your wife, all right, then, then your prayers are hindered. Your relationship with God is impacted by your relationship with your wife, by how you're treating your wife. The um, talks about here in verse 7, the wife in generally, she's weaker physically than her husband. And and also, as it says there, Someone weaker, if if your wife is seeking to obey those things that have been stated in verses 1 through 6 and submitting to her husband, then in a sense, she's been she's placed herself in a weaker position under her authority, under his authority. And so all the more important that the husband's seeking to understand her, seeking to honor her in their relationship. Life brings many challenges to both the husband and the wife, and we are often stretched physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. The husband must know his wife's strengths and weaknesses and protect, encourage, and help her. And and we're to do this why? Because we are both joint we are both heirs, joint heirs with Christ of the graces of life adopted into his his family is is what verse 7 is talking about. If the husband does not seek to understand and honor his wife, then the consequences are profound. His prayers are hindered. Husbands, do you desire God to hear and answer your prayers? Do you desire God's blessing? Do you desire unhindered fellowship with God? Lead your wife by loving, serving, understanding, and honoring her as a testimony of Christ's relationship to the church for the glory of God. And so that's the standard. I remember in China, I was so excited. There were two books that we got done, and and I, I think these are just great books on marriage. One is called The Exemplary Husband by Stuart Scott. One is called The Excellent Wife by Martha Peace and just books. What's so nice about these books is that they're they're just fully biblical. Both have the subtitle "The Biblical Perspective." They're not a lot of stories and things like that, which just make things harder to translate. When things are just biblical, they're easy to translate into another language. And I remember I was really excited. These got actually published in the mainland. Um, and I remember giving them to my staff, a couple of my staff, and 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 um, having them read it. And then I remember in my Bible study, um, giving them to some of the men in my Bible study and in in the church and things. And and um, I remember one guy coming back and saying, he "Goes, how was it?" And he goes, "It's just too hard." 
He goes, I, I just can't do that. There's just no way I can do that. And I'm like, well, yeah, I, I know none of us can do that, but isn't it good to, <laughs> good to at least know the standard, know what, what, what we're expected? And he's like, no, no, I just really can't do that. <laughs> and so we had to talk more about, you know, this morning, I'm given the standard. This, this is where we, we're, we're going towards. I realize that some of this is, is difficult, but, and I realize that here, there are, you are in all these different places in your relationships. And, and some of these goals might just seem unattainable. Well, in one sense, they are. But again, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us that can help us to be Christ-like. And, and this is where we want to be. Why? Because we want to glorify God. I don't think if I ask for a show of hands, who here doesn't want their life to glorify God? Everybody would say, yeah, that, that's what I want. Well, scripture, these scriptures are pointing towards this is, this is where you glorify God. This is where you start, if I can say it that way. And, and so no matter where you are, no matter where your relationship is, well, try to make that improvement. Try to take that first step as we, as we look through these. Secondly, biblical understanding of the role of the wife. The wife is to honor in submitting and helping. She is to honor her husband in submitting and helping. Honor in submitting and helping. As with God-ordained institutions like the church and government, the family, Unit is based on this idea of authority and submission. It's not only in the family. It's, it's really in every part in the church and government. We, we see these different um, uh, structures where you have authority, you have submission. Just like the husband submits in everything to God, and that includes submitting to an employer or supervisor. So the wife submits to God in everything which includes submitting to the God-ordained leadership of her husband. But the marriage relationship is at a level much grander than any other earthly relationship. You know, God could have picked many things to represent Christ and the church. You know, in one sense, parent-child relationship, that that might have been, but but no, he, he picks the husband and wife relationship. He picks what could be <clears throat> considered the most difficult relationship on earth. He picks that relationship to model his love for the church. Why does he do that? But he reminds us of that all the time, that, that the relationship is, is modeling Christ and his his love for the church and, and the church submitting to the leadership of Christ and Christ um, shepherding the church. And so that's the relationship that, that Christ, that, that God has used to show us w- what the relationship of Christ and the church is like. And we, we see that in Ephesians chapter 5, and it's almost Paul, Paul's going back and forth, and he's talking about marriage, and then he's talking about the church, and then he finally has to say, well, I, I'm talking about Christ and the church here. It, it, it's like they're, they're interlaced there. 
the representation of marriage here on earth. The relationship of the husband leading and loving and serving and the wife honoring her husband by submitting and helping is a picture of something much greater than the marriage itself. An image that transcends cultural differences and immediately speaks both of the message of the gospel and the life change wrought by the gospel. As we look at at 1 Peter 3 here, and again, you don't have time this morning to go in depth. I would encourage you to look at these verses. But we see here in in the first few verses how the idea, the key ideas in a wife submits and how a wife submits to her husband, even an unsaved husband here. The key idea is that that this can actually, without a word, so so what this passage is saying here is in the same way you wives be submissive to your own husbands that so that even in any of them, even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. What this passage is saying is that if your husband has heard the gospel, if an unsaved husband has heard the gospel, the wife doesn't need to share the gospel again. She just needs to live out her role. That's the power of living out her role as a wife in the marriage relationship. And if I can just take that a step farther, farther we've already addressed that. But this whole idea of how our marriage relationships reflect the gospel. They show the gospel to people. And, and this is proof of it. Uh, uh, unsaved, ungodly, disobedient husband can be can be won, can be convicted, and won to Christ can be brought to repentance just through the wife fulfilling her biblical role in the marriage. What a powerful statement! What a powerful statement to think about that. And then to take it a step further and say, our marriage relationships show the gospel to people. And and that's why this is important. This isn't important so that you can have a better, happier life. I I do wish that for you. But, But this is all about the gospel and glorifying God. And that's why these different statements are made. And so the sobering statement for the wife, again... Looking at a lot of different passages, this is not comfortable for me either, but um, if we go to Titus, Titus chapter 2 there, verses 4 and 5 are talking about what older women should be teaching younger women there. It says, so that they may encourage their young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Right? Think about how many different things in Scripture say things like this, that the, that the word of God may not be dishonored, that your prayers may not be hindered. There are very few. And so that sobering reality for the wife, if a wife is not loving her husband, loving her children, making her home a priority, and submitting to her husband 
then she is dishonoring or literally, literally slandering or blaspheming the word of God. Right? That's, that's just tough language. And, and this, isn't, this is not here to say, I'm not saying, you know, you have to homeschool your kids or you have to do, it's just, what is your priority? Right? What is your priority? If somebody asks you, I just think somebody asks you, we see the Proverbs 31 woman, she's buying a field, she's doing different things. But if somebody says, what do you do? Your first thing that comes to my mind is, well, I'm a mom. I'm a wife. Those are the things, that's your, that's your priority. That's your priority in life. And so, another sobering reality there. And then, just because of time, we just have to quickly move on here. The biblical understanding of the role of the children. The biblical understanding of the role of the children in the house. And I say the following, the children, they need the need or need for discipline and instruction. That's their role. They need discipline and instruction. I know that kind of... Probably the grammar there is not the, the greatest, but that is that is the need. They need discipline and they need instruction. One of the greatest blessings you can give your children is to help them understand the gospel. You t- use times of discipline to emphasize their need for the gospel and live out the gospel in your marriage and how it has transformed your life. Live out the transforming nature of the gospel in your marriage. So there's two things. You need to share the gospel with your kids. You, you discipline them. You need to remind them that Christ has what Christ has done. You need to remind them that they can't be completely obedient to God's, God's law. That's why Christ came. And then at the same time, though, you know what? They see us every day. They see our relationship every day. You're not hiding, if you think you are, which I think most of us now realize we're not, you're not hiding anything from your kids. They see you for who they are. And they either see how the gospel has transformed your marriage relationship, not because you don't have conflict, but because they see you asking forgiveness. They see you dealing with that in a biblical way. So they either see that or they see this contradiction. They, they see you, you're one way and they see you teach one way, but, but then they don't see that impacting your marriage. And, and so, so important that, that the kids are seeing this. You know, in, in China, I think everywhere, everybody wants, we would do parenting classes and we continue to do that. And, and everybody wants to hear about parenting because they want their kids to be successful. But our parenting would be first chapter, how is your marriage, right? Because if you're, you can do all the parenting you want, but if you're living out a marriage full of conflict every day in your household, you know what? That's going to be impact. That's going to be what impacts your kids. And so... We, we want to make sure that the gospel is not only, we're not only giving our kids the gospel and explaining our kids the gospel and showing them through their disobedience the gospel, 
but showing it in our relationships as well. And we see that in Ephesians, right? Ephesians 6. You can quickly look over there, that, that passage following the marriage passage, following um, in Ephesians 5, but Ephesians 6, we see the responsibility here, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And then secondly, honor your father and mother, which is the first command with a promise. This idea of honoring our parents is lifelong. We are always to be honoring our parents. But verse 1 there, that command is really the only command addressed, directly addressed to children in Scripture. They only have one thing to do, obey their parents. And that's what you need to be showing them. Are, are, are they fulfilling that command? Obviously, all the scriptures addressed to them too. But that's the one command that is explicitly stated for them. And it was while Trudy and I were reading this book on parenting um, a few years ago, uh, I guess now more than a few because we were in China, but um, three years ago we were... Um, reading this book called Parenting, and um, came across, again, this sobering reality. This was like a subtitle to one of the chapters. This is from Paul David Tripp, Parenting Book. Um, It says, The foolishness inside your children is more dangerous to them than the temptations outside of them. The foolishness inside your children is more dangerous to them than the temptation outside of them. Proverbs says it this way, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. We can do all of these things to protect our children, keep our children from this friendship or from going here or going there. And as parents there is responsibility to do that. But never forget, right, that the, that the foolishness that's in their heart, in their own heart, is more dangerous than all the things going around in the world. Because if they deal with that foolishness, they can handle those things. But if they never deal with that foolishness, you can only protect them so long. And you could protect them forever, but still it's their heart that is the issue. It's what's in their heart. And so the foolishness inside your children's heart is more dangerous than the temptations outside. And so as we think about this, the key, and this really comes back to Proverbs, the key is to think through these issues. And so the first part is your child's life flows out from a heart of foolishness. Your child's life flows out from a heart of foolishness. You know, if you don't believe that, think about this Proverbs 12, 15, Proverbs 12, 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. You know, do your parent, your kids often come up to you and just say, boy, thank you so much for that wise counsel. All right. Or do they, are they more apt to be 
right? No, 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 I, no, 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 Dad, you don't understand. No, actually, I, I do understand, right? Okay, but yeah, the, the heart, there's foolishness in the heart of a child, all right? And, and, and so that's what we need to understand. That's why the Lord has given them parents. You're very important, right, in their lives, all right? And so secondly, just moving along, your child needs, what do you think? Wisdom, yeah. Your child needs wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Proverbs 4, 5, acquire wisdom, acquire understanding, 1616, how much better is it to get wisdom than gold and to get understanding is to be chosen above silver. Your child needs to have a respect and awe of God that keeps them from sinning and a proper fear of God when they do sin. They need to have that wonderful desire that David expresses in Psalm 63, Verse 2, so I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. And that can be taught, but honestly, it's best caught. And, and so we as parents, and again, as I preach, this is very sobering, but we as, we as parents, we need to be pursuing that. God's loving kindness, his steadfast love is better than life. If we believe that, then our kids will see that. And the Lord can use that to bring them to himself. And then thirdly there, the instrument for starting your child on the path of wisdom is discipline. That goes back to the Ephesians Ephesians 6, maybe you're still there. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Your child desperately needs wisdom gained through instruction. But Proverbs tells us that fools despise wisdom and instruction. So a child has foolishness in his heart, foolishness Foolish people despise wisdom and instruction, so it seems like we're hopeless here. It's like in China, there's a there's a maldun is is something that's that's a um, a contradiction, right? You come to a point, and then the the um, this was a sword that could be that could pierce any shield, and I think the dun was the shield that could not be pierced by any sword. And so you have this contradiction here. So what, how do we do this? We have a foolish child. Fools despise wisdom, but the child needs wisdom. Well, that's where the discipline comes into. right? God has designed what Proverbs we call the rod, the rod of reproof. And we, we looked at that already, 22, 15. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod will remove that foolishness. And, you know, I have to say here, you know, this has the way people view discipline and and view spanking and things like that. And and many of you, or I shouldn't say hopefully not many of you, but I'm sure some of you were in homes where there was, this was not done well, 
This was not discipline. This was abuse. And, and, and you know, that there, there's no sense where that is what we're talking about here or what Scripture is talking about here. That is blatantly unbiblical when, when a, you know, uh, discipline is carried out in, a, in even a vengeful way. But, but we can't just take and slide the whole way over here and then be just as disobedient to Scripture. That's disobedient, to be vengefully, angrily spanking or abusing children. But then we can't just go and say, well, I'm never going to do anything like that. No, we, we have to swing back to what's biblical. And biblical tells us that we need to spank our children, that, that the rod of discipline is there to, to root out that foolishness. And we do it in a loving way. We do it in that Galatians Six way where if anyone is caught in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. That applies to our kids. We do it in a gentle way, but we do it. We discipline them. What what can discipline, physical discipline do? Proverbs twenty two fifteen there. It says it, it can the rod removes foolishness from the child's heart. The rod removes foolishness from the child's heart. Proverbs 29.15, it gives wisdom. Discipline gives wisdom. And then 23.14 says it can rescue a child's soul from Sheol. It can rescue a child's soul from help. Again, we don't save our children. You will never save your children. That's a work that God has to do in their in their heart, um, but we 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 obey Scripture because um, we want to glorify God with how we parent. And God often uses spiritual biblical parenting to bring children to Himself. And then that last thirteen Proverbs thirteen fourteen. Proverbs 13, 24 is maybe the most sobering. It says, he who does not discipline his child, he who spares the rod hates his son. Because you're just, you're just letting that foolishness continue in his heart. And that's going to bring forth fruit. Right? And then just lastly here, a um, couple of things. There are children need to see the preciousness of God's word. And just, just a couple things there in the Psalms. Psalms 1 talks about how David meditated on the, on the word of God day and night. He meditated day and night. Um, Psalm 19, it's, it's more to be desired than gold. Psalm 119, every verse in that psalm, 176 or so verses, except for two, mention the word of God. But specifically, it helps a young man keep his way pure. They need to love the word of God. They need to be taught the word of God. And so we need to take the time to discipline our children. Um, Just in closing... An illustration from China. Um, we started a Bible study in our home. We arrived in China in January 2006 and started a Bible study a year later in 2007. And 
Victor started attending that Bible study soon after that. Today, he faithfully preaches God's word and leads in his local church in Beijing. He recently shared with me some of the influences that ultimately brought him from atheism to Christianity. And so this is what he wrote. Mark would be the person who has been most influential in breaking the wall of my disinterest in religion because I was not only an unbeliever, but also quite antagonistic towards Christianity. I regarded it as the opium for the masses due to the communist way of education as something that weak would believe. However, I must say that, the, that he and his family, along with his friends, played different roles in God's purpose. The following are ways that God used Mark and the people related to him to be impactful in my life because before and after I became a Christian. First and foremost, the aroma of marital love he and his wife showed naturally attracted me to what they believed since I grew up with parents who fought a lot. And so I had embraced the prevalent view that marriage was the graveyard of love. In addition, Mark and Charity extended their great hospitality and love towards my friends and me by inviting us for meals and showing sincere and genuine concern towards my parents and, and me by asking and praying for us. Last but not least, the children dis- displayed respect towards others and obedience towards their parents but they didn't lack any intelligence and sociability. This surprised me as my wrong conception was that children had to be naughty or troublesome to end up socially normal, is what he's saying. These are some of the reasons why I began not being as antagonistic towards belief in Christianity. Again, should never be the hero of your illustration. This is not about us. Okay, we didn't save Victor, all right, but God graciously used our family as we tried to work out these issues in our own home, and just a wonderful testimony of that, and so praise the Lord for that. Let's pray. Father, we are just so thankful for this time together. We're thankful, Lord, first of all, that you've given us families You've given us wives, you've given us husbands, you've given us children. How many people in the world do not have that? And so we praise you for that, Lord. And then we pray that with everything that you've given us, that we be able to use it to bring honor and glory to you, Lord. Pray for um, charity in my marriage first and each one here, Lord, that our marriages would just grow stronger and stronger so that they would be a light of what Christ has done in our lives, Lord, to a a needy world. Pray that our parents' parenting would remove that foolishness in our children's heart and replace it with your wisdom so that they may go on and that they may continue um, our legacy, continue your legacy, Lord, and be lights and um, show forth Um, the goodness and the glories of your name. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.